This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. After years of extraordinarily high prices, which have effectively shut the majority of Australians out of the market, Labor has finally passed a bill that will make electric vehicles cheaper. But will this be enough to meet the current demand? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisher about the electric car discount and the road to zero emissions transport. It's Friday, the 25th of November. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So we finally had some good news for electric vehicles this week. Lenore, what happened? I think we just need to say that one more time. <laughs> we had some good, good news, news about electric vehicles oh, wow. this week. You know, I remember the war on the weekend and all that numbskullery. Something good happened. I mean, before we get too excited about it, it wasn't a huge thing and it was what they promised to do in the election campaign and we're still behind the rest of the world, but... This law has passed through the House and is going to pass through the Senate with the Greens and Independents, and it exempts electric cars from fringe benefits tax, which makes them cheaper for employers to provide and cheaper for workers who salary sacrifice for them. And also 75% of new fleet purchases will be electric by 2025. And if you put those things together, it means that there's going to be a second-hand market in electric cars because, like, not that many people get a work car, right? But mm. but the flow-on effect is that there will be a secondary market in electric cars, so second-hand electric cars within a couple of years because they turn over those fleets fairly quickly, which means that possibly sometime in the not-too-distant future, normal people might be better able to afford electric cars. And, Mike, this is... Uh, a step, as Lenore said. It's not everything. What's the next step that needs to happen? Yeah, so this is very much part one of a two-part policy shift that's necessary to really make the electric car market work. And in fact, initially, some people are saying it's going to make things worse temporarily because it will increase demand drastically for EVs. But the problem, as the Minister Chris Bowen has also recognised, is really one of supply as well at the moment. And the main reason for that is Australia's terrible fuel emission standards, which have fallen way behind the rest of the world and do not encourage the, the car companies to bring a wide variety of electric vehicle well, brands. actively discourage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, into Australia. So that's why we have a much more choice than most other countries. If you, if you can afford the sort of $60,000 to $80,000 range that most of the current ones on offer are going for, you may have to wait as long as a year for it even to arrive. So there is a discussion paper out on that and people in this space have argued very strongly that that is a very urgent next step that needs to be taken in the new year to actually sort of really ungrit the gears on the EV market in Australia. Australia has been described as an automotive third world, Lenore. How did we get here? Uh, because of the fuel emission standards <laughs> that Mike was just talking about or the absence thereof, because, you know, we are the only country in the OECD now that doesn't have them. When you do have them, it drives demand. It means car makers are more inclined to supply EVs into your market if there is 
a penalty or if there's a requirement to have certain levels of fuel efficiency, not having them means they're more likely to fob off less fuel efficient cars, petrol cars, hybrid cars on Australia. So like in the UK, EVs are like 15% or more of the market here. There, I think 3.2% or something. And that is a massive jump on last year. So they really matter. And the thing that's so infuriating about it is that we have known this. We have known this for a really long time. In 2014, the Climate Change Authority said we needed them. In 2016, Josh Frydenberg, minister then in the Turnbull government, was totally excited about them. And he wrote an op-ed saying, stand by Australia for the electric car revolution. And then Scott Morrison replaced Malcolm Turnbull. And even though both parties had an EV policy in the 2019 election, Scott Morrison sort of added Labor's more ambitious policy to his scare campaign and talked about the war on the weekend Mm. and how we wouldn't be able to go camping, et cetera, et cetera. Anthony Albanese at that point in 2021 dumped the shorten policy because he wanted to just not have the scare campaign. So The thing that Mike is referring to, this discussion paper, which was pretty quick, it opened on the 28th of September, closed on the 30th of October, so they're moving on it. This is Labor's way of getting back into the discussion about fuel efficiency standards, and they really, really have to. A, that's what's going to drive EVs, but if you take one step back, transport's our second largest source of emissions or third largest source of emissions, so... If you don't reduce transport emissions, we're not going to reach our net zero by 2050 target. So they kind of have to get back into this policy area and fast. And I think Mm. what happened this week was just sort of a down payment on what they need to do. Yeah. And I mean, the reason they were able to act reasonably quickly is because although they had removed those commitments from their election policy, at least they hadn't made any other commitments that kind of put an obstruction in the way as they have felt forced to do in other areas, such as, as we've discussed many times before, tax cuts, and and you could put that more generally to their emission strategy. You know, there's only felt there was only so far they could go. But in, at least in this space, it's kind of a blank slate. They can mm. they can start from scratch. I mean, we're a long way behind, so there's a lot to do. But at least there's no kind of stupid, you know, we've made this commitment yeah. five years ago yeah. that we can't renege on argument to be had. And I think the other thing that is sort of pushing towards this being a sort of tipping point moment also is there's massive pent-up demand. All Mm. the surveys and everything shows people want to buy EVs. They really want to. They're just way too expensive at the moment and they're much cheaper in other markets. There's lots of cheaper ones sort of about to come into the Australian market or cheaper, sort of down to like 35K or 40K, so not exactly cheap. But the new cars are going to start coming down and then the secondhand market's going to start cutting in. So I think it's like pushing on an open door. You know, like I think people are really ready for yeah. this. Yeah, well, we and you can see that demand not only in the queues of people who've signed up even to buy these still extremely expensive models, but also just when we write about it, appetite among readers for reading about electric cars and wanting to know about when they'll be able to buy one is huge. Yeah. One of the things the Morrison government was able to do is exploit this kind of range anxiety mm. that seems to exist in Australia. How warranted is that, Lenore? Look, you know, it's a big country and some people do need to drive long distances, but charging stations are popping up everywhere and the cars are getting longer ranges. And the truth is most of us don't drive that far, right? Like Mm. most of us have small commutes or small trips. So I think it's a small concern and that it will get smaller over time. Mm. I think something else that the government could do as well, which 
you know, I would like to see personally. <laughs> but I think what Morrison was playing on was not just the range anxiety, but it was also that desire or the like, trend towards ever bigger cars becoming the standard for Australian motorists, regardless of what their needs are, whether they live in the city or the country and need to, you know, he talked about you can't get an EV to pull a boat and your trailer and so on. So like playing on that, SUVs and utes have become the standard Australian cars. They're in the, they dominate the top 10 most popular cars sold in Australia. The Toyota Hilux is the most popular brand. And that's partly to do with tax concessions on commercial vehicles, which means you can write off the cost of a new vehicle if it's something that can be used for commercial purposes, (laughs) even if you don't actually use it for that. And that's helped to drive this sort of obsession with having ever bigger cars, even in narrow inner city streets. VW, for example, is just announced they're bringing in their what they call mid-range SUV, which sells for about $60,000 something. What's that the middle of? I think they mean in size terms of the car, <laughs> not the price. But they have a much smaller, like a hatchback electric vehicle that sells in other markets, but that's that's coming later here. The, you know, mm. they, they prioritise the bigger one because those are the kind of cars that Australians love but to drive. But there are electric utes coming too, there right? Are all, all those There's... things coming too, yeah. But it would be great to see that focus also switch to just getting people to drive smaller Can't cars. change for... everything all at once, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Do we have to wait for this government fleet to expire and then to go on to the second-hand market for second-hand cars or is there an opportunity for that to happen there sooner? Are, there are people who are trying to get around that problem or speed it up, if you like. There's a Tasmanian startup called The Good Car Company, which has been been backed by Mike Cannon-Brooks Philanthropic Foundation and they sort of batch buy secondhand cars and bring them in and you can sign up to participate in and buy one of those cars. So that's one way and the prices of the imported secondhand EVs can start at $20,000, which is way better. So that is one way that we could kind of get through this gap, if you like, because of the tardiness of our policies. It's not just federal policy affecting electric vehicles. The states have made some policies, including one from Victoria described as the worst electric vehicle policy in the world. Mike, what are the states doing and how is that affecting the market? So the problem here is that currently a lot of tax is raised through the fuel excise. Obviously, electric vehicles don't use conventional fuel, so that is a lot of revenue potentially foregone when there's a wholesale transition to electric vehicles. And governments around the world have been trying to figure out how to replace that tax. In Australia, it's often billed as a tax that is raised to spend money on roads. That's not strictly true. But obviously, as people you know, increasingly turn to electric vehicles, that is going to be a revenue shortfall for governments everywhere. So the Victorian government tried to introduce a tax on electric vehicles to replace that. It sounded like a really clunky way to do it quite apart from the principle, which was that people had to record the number of kilometres they drove, oh. kind of like when you're teaching your children to drive in a, you know, on a, on in a, pen, a and, pen and paper logbook. in a logbook or something, oh. and then you'd get charged on, on per kilometre basis for how far you'd driven. Isn't an honour system? Sounded bizarre anyway. But the principle was why it was called the worst electric vehicle policy in the world, because it was massively disincentivising people to buy and use electric vehicles. It's going to go to the High Court next year because the federal government has intervened in this case, as have all the other states on opposite sides. So all the states want the right to make their own policy on EVs. The federal government's saying it would make much more sense if there was a national policy 
on how to tax EVs because there will be have to be some different way of raising that revenue that's mm. all gone through. But it would be good if it was electric. consistent. It would make a lot more sense if it was one policy that applied across the whole of Australia, not a jigsaw of each state making it. So the principle is at stake. I guess they can argue that on principle, but you would hope that the outcome, regardless of what the High Court decides, is that the states agree that it would nevertheless be better to have and a single policy. And there's a common good in not putting a charge in the way of a transition that yeah. we all have to make. It's a bit nuts. And also the in the Victorian election campaign ahead of the election this weekend, the opposition leader has promised to pause that electric vehicle tax. So it's actually an election issue there as well. Mm. I mean, other countries are also wrestling with this. They're, in the UK, they just announced that they are going to start charging electric vehicles a road tax from 2025, which has had some opposition there for the same reasons, that it would disincentivise the transition. But they are already at 15% of new cars being bought in the UK. Mm. Being electrics, we're at like 3 point something percent. So, yes, the argument is still there that that they need to go quicker and further with the transition, but they are sort of closer to the point where it does make more sense to start well, taxing yeah, doing people. something. Yeah. It's so amazing when you travel that it really is apparent how many electric vehicles are on the road, that charging stations are everywhere, you know, cars plugged in down every street. You know, you just see how far behind we mm. are walking around. Mm. What are the other states and territories doing, Lenore? Look, there's a range of different incentives and policies around the states, some, you know, stronger than others. And in the ACT, they've actually said they're going to ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars after 2035, which is in line with what a lot of countries around the world are doing. Although, I guess if you lived in Canberra, you could just like go to Queen <laughs> Um However, I think the ACT actually has a, a very high, for Australian standards, uptake of electric vehicles, I guess, relatively small driving distances internally and, you know, relatively high incomes in the population, but they, you know, they've done more. Do either of you have an electric car? I'm hanging on to my ageing Subaru until this, the the aforementioned secondhand market (laughs) eventuates and I can afford one. I really want one. Mm, I really, really want one. Me too. But, you know, they need to come down in price a bit. Mike? I share a kind of bashed up 2014 Hyundai, whatever that extremely generic brand is. Yes, (laughs) i30, that's the one. I would love to have an electric car, but it's not on the cards for the same reasons that everyone else struggles to, you know, I would never pay more than anything like the the amount of money that it costs to buy a new one and even a secondhand one at the moment is not a consideration. So just trying to use the car less until then. Next, free necessities and 18 minutes of hope. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. If you're enjoying the podcast we make at Guardian Australia, you should check out the Guardian Weekly magazine. It's a roundup of the most prominent news stories from Australia and across the globe. And at the moment, you can get 50% off an annual subscription, including home delivery, no matter where you live. Just search for Guardian Weekly Subscription to find out more. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what was it for you? So 
Not a huge story, but I just thought it was interesting. The Victorian government uh, promised in the election campaign a $23 million promise to provide free tampons and pads in public places, which is the first time anybody's Mm. done that in Australia. So they'll be available at 700 public places around Victoria, like libraries or museums or that kind of thing, kind of like other hygiene necessities, like, I don't know, toilet paper or soap or some such. But it actually popped the foofy valves of some conservative commentators who went utterly crazy and said, you know, how dare the government buy necessities and why don't they buy us all shoes? I don't know. I don't understand either. (laughs) Were they men? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How funny. (laughs) Mike, what can't you get out of your head? Well, it's the World Cup has started this week, as I'm sure everyone is aware, and I certainly can't get that out of my head. Obviously, we have Or off your second screen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we have a huge global coverage from, you know, our UK and US colleagues have contributed to that. But I just wanted to mention our own correspondent, uh, Guardian Australia's correspondent, Emma Kemp's work on that, which I think has been fantastic Mm. because it's been a particularly hard tournament to cover because of all the politics and the, the you know, non-sporting issues surrounding it. But she wrote a lovely story about how Australia had lived that 18 minutes of being in the lead against France and daring to dream. It was a really great story. (laughs) She wrote a lovely sort of softer piece about what's going on inside the Australian team camp and they how they brought their own barista over and all the different kinds of coffee that the team players had, which is the kind of, you know, Mm. nice personal stories about what goes on at a normal World Cup. But she's also done all the very serious issues surrounding the whole staging of the tournament in Qatar and and the protests about that and so on. So I just think whether you're normally a football fan or not, I think her reporting has been terrific. Mm. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. Full Story is going to be back in your feed this weekend to bring you instant reactions from the Victorian election. Stay tuned to hear that over the weekend. We'll see you then.